from the studios of Farm Journal Broadcast. This is Ag Day. Making her mark in organics. Peace Farm Organics is something that comes from my heart, that I want people to be able to have this for their family, for their children. One woman's pathway to success in Arkansas. Plus, will machinery prices soften in 2023? Machinery Pete isn't so sure. Missy Bauer helps us win the furrow. So I like to make sure my primary tillage tool for corn on corn has some leveling devices on the back. Through better corn on corn tillage, and the acreage battle heats up as cotton farmers pull back. At this point in time, cotton seems to be pretty stable in that $85 range, give or take. That's today on Ag Day. Good morning, I'm Clinton Griffiths. The acreage battle will be a hot topic in 2023, especially for the cotton market. And there are many factors farmers are considering when making those decisions for this growing season, including price. Ag Day's Michelle Rook has the outlook. Clinton, the widely watched Cotton Growers Annual Survey provides the first look at new crop acreage intentions until the National Cotton Council Convention that's set to take place the second week of February. Now, the survey predicts plantings of 11.57 million acres, a 2.2 million acre or 16% reduction, with some suggesting more. The survey calls for a 9% drop in the southeast, 19% in the southwest, and 9% in the mid-south. Both Arkansas and Mississippi project slight increases. Market analysts believe that is in line with what they're hearing from farmers as current prices aren't high enough to attract acres. But with higher inputs and with the ability of the cotton producer to go out there and plant other crops, uh, I think that might be close to where we end up on cotton acres. Uh, at this point in time, Cotton seems to be pretty stable in that $85 range, give or take, uh, but uh, the other commodities are increasing in price, in particular soybeans. So no, I don't think you're going to entice any acres in the Delta for sure. $0.88 cents would be the number. 88 to 90 I think, is what's needed to really compete with corn and beans at these prices, so we can throw those out. I think West Texas is a different story. Those folks will plant probably regardless, at least a lot of the fringe guys will, unless they can get enough moisture to plant something like corn. Plus, farmers may also be discouraged as the cotton markets are the most volatile trading conditions in over a decade in 2022 and the biggest annual price drop since 2014. In fact, Payne thinks harvested acres for cotton could actually fall below 9 million in 2023 versus 11 million in 2022. The other factor driving cotton prices will be demand, and that's solely dependent on China. Payne thinks demand will pick up in the second quarter of 2023 as China pushes forward with easing their COVID restrictions and fully opens its economy. All right, thanks, Michelle. California continues to recover from the rash of wet weather to start 2023. The folks over at Dairy Herd Management checking in with dairy farmers in the state. Some reporting hundreds of acres underwater due to flooding, others having to push cows to higher ground. And last week, hundreds of thousands were without power following winds in excess of 100 miles per hour. California's San Francisco just experienced its wettest 10-day period in more than 150 years as a string of storms soaked that state. So what's ahead this week? Meteorologist Courtney Jorgensen joins us with a look. And it certainly has been wet along the West Coast. And as we take a look at what we're expecting into the week ahead, after all that we had this weekend, still looking at rain and snow continuing across the West Coast as well as onto the East Coast. 
looking at above normal precipitation there. Elsewhere across the country looking pretty neutral to below normal, especially in the southern portions of the country. Taking a look compared to the 90 day outlook though, we could certainly use that rain. Most of the southern half of the country is expecting below normal precipitation while the north and into the Great Lakes is expecting above normal precipitation. Now taking a closer look at that drought monitor, still exceptional drought in the central plains, but starting to see those improvements as we head along the west coast. Across the country, improving all across the area, and that has been thanks to all the precipitation that we've been seeing over the past couple weeks. Still today, though, we're looking at that rain and snow continuing on the west coast. Most of the rest of the country is going to be dry and calm. And take a look at this beautiful photo from Celeste Trini. She ranches among these rolling hills in Salinas, California. As you can see, there's plenty of green following the recent rains. She says that the ranch has logged nearly 15 inches of rain since November 1st, adding that's pretty normal, but they just haven't had that normal in years. Celeste says the rain can keep on coming. I'll have more on your national forecast coming up. Win the Furrow programming on Ag Day is sponsored by Zyway brand fungicides from FMC. Get season-long systemic disease protection from the inside out, from root to tassel and stalk to leaf. Go long with Zyway brand fungicides. It may be winter, but there's no time like the present to start working towards spring planting. Today, Missy Bauer shares thoughts on how good tillage practices can help win the furrow in Corn on Corn. What are some of the things we're looking for for a corn on corn tillage tool? We're seeing a cornfield here uh, that ran 250 to 280, so a lot of residue. It's harvested three days ago, so it's really fresh residue, and we're able to get it through this machine. So one of the things that's helping us out with this particular tool is the front end here. We got some very aggressive blades on the front that's really helping to size the residue. Now this, the depth I run these is controlled hydraulically. I can do that from the can. So for me, I don't really want to run these any deeper than I have to. I run them deep enough to size residue to make it flow. So this is one of the first adjustments I make is going to be setting this depth where I want it to make sure I can cut enough residue to help it flow through the back. And as I come back into the shanks themselves, I do like to see something fairly parabolic like we got here. So if we have more of a straight shank, uh, it's going to have a tendency to not flow the residue as well. So if I'm running in bean stubble all the time, I could take a little bit straighter of a shank and be just fine. But into this corn residue, especially a high yield residue, will have a tendency to do a lot better job with more of a parabolic like we have here. Now for me, I still want to not sacrifice shatter shank to shank. So in this particular tool uh, from Great Plains, the Max Chisel, these shank spacings are still on 15 inch centers. So I really like to keep that 15 or 16 inch centers to make sure that I do shatter shank to shank. The other thing that'll help with the shattering, of course, is running kind of a narrow two inch point like I got here, but having these wings on there. So it's a seven inch wing on here just to help give that cross shatter in between. Now, when you're corn on corn, you gotta make sure coming out the back end that we're pretty level, especially when we're in a vertical tillage program to make sure that we can come in here in the spring and get this level back up. So I like to make sure my primary tillage tool for corn on corn has some leveling devices on the back. So this particular tool has these paddles here that do the initial level, leveling. And then the last thing on here is actually this roller. This roller is controlled with hydraulic pressure, so I'm actually running constant down pressure with hydraulics on this roller. And you can see behind me then, it's a pretty smooth surface coming out of a corn-on-corn -corn situation here. All right, thanks, Missy. Well, dryness in Argentina helping to 
push soybean prices higher to end last week. Where are things going this week? We'll discuss that and more coming up in analysis. And we're off to Arkansas to see how one farmer turned her passion into an organics powerhouse today in the country. And registration for Top Producers Summit is now open. Come join the nation's top farmers in Nashville, Tennessee, January 23rd through the 25th. The agenda jam-packed with the industry's best speakers, incredible networking opportunities, and learning business strategies that could transform your operation in 2023. And it's in the heart of Music City with plenty of time to explore. Register at tpsummit.com. Another truck maker unveiling their new electric pickup. Ram rolling out the 1500 Revolution concept truck at the Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas. The rear passenger cabin wall, well, it folds away, leaving the truck cab fully open to the cargo bed and a third row jump seat also fold out from that back wall while the second row of seats slide forward to make room. Now, Ram says it's able to make room by eliminating the need for the gas engine, putting more space in the cab. Last week ended with a strong showing for soybeans and meal with March meal up around $12. Michelle Rook joins us with a closer look at markets now. We rounded out last week with grains mix. We had the livestock lower and uh, Sean Hackett, Hackett Financial Advisors joins us with analysis. And Sean, it was kind of a tough week in the grains to start the week, a lot of fund liquidation. We got a little bump up in soybeans on Friday. Is the fund liquidation done or was that just trying to put some South American weather premium back in? I think you know there was a, there's a lot of uh, movement that takes place at the beginning of the year and the end of the year regarding rebalancing, uh, reallocations. There's just a lot of movement of parts that may not necessarily mean the market's making big bets on anything in particular. I do believe, though, we came back from the holiday season and we saw some really nasty uh, news coming out of China and how they're, you know, in, in somewhat of a chaotic, you know, period of the virus running amok like we saw here, you know, and I think the market just got a little worried that although that's a, there's an optimistic side when they get on the other side of that, you know, we're not there yet and we may have to deal with some pretty rough demand side numbers here in the first quarter. And I think the market got a little queasy about that and said, well, maybe we're, we got, we jumped the gun here a little early on getting bullish at the end of the year. Well, hopefully we're done with the fund liquidation. Um, as we start a new week here now, will we be focused on weather or will we be more focused on trying to get ahead of the data dump from USDA coming up this week? I mean, certainly South American weather is always a primary thing to be paying attention to this time of the year. Yields have not been determined yet. There's still big chances for big increases or decreases in yields. So obviously, everyone is going to continue to, to monitor that as a, as a number one priority. USDA oftentimes, you know, in this report doesn't do a whole lot with U.S. numbers. I'm not sure that they need to do a whole. I think they kind of got the numbers right. I think it's obvious they're probably going to have to come down on their numbers for Argentina, given what has happened since the last USDA report. But the market usually trades that well in advance, meaning the USDA is usually the last right. one to come clean on that. So I, once again, I, I'm not expecting anything major out of this okay. report, uh, Michelle, but you never know, but I'm thinking it's going to be more of a, okay, that's great. Let's go back to weather and 
and the Federal Reserve and things that have been driving markets for quite some time. Okay, well, appreciate it. Sean Hackett, Hackett Financial Advisors, and we'll have more Ag Day coming up. Meteorologist Courtney Jorgensen joining us here, taking a look at our national forecast, starting with the drought monitor. And really, we've been watching California change over the last month or so. Which is great. We really need that improvement. We're watching that change over the past couple of weeks, and there's more change that's going to be expected as we get the updated drought monitor later this week. And you can really see those differences between four weeks ago on the western edge of the coast and today. Now, again, I do expect this to be updated as we head into the second half of the week. We're going to be looking at those changes and see exactly what those impacts are as far as the rainfall. Still dealing with that exceptional drought through the south central plains. That is going to be continuing because we're still not expecting too much moisture there, I, I don't think. And then as we head along the west coast, again, seeing those improvement, but all across the country, same kind of story with improvements, especially along along the eastern half of the country. Here's what it looks like as far as our precipitation is expected throughout this week. Again, with all of the rain snow that we've had this past weekend, still going to be continuing that impact as we head into the week. It does begin to shift a bit more towards central portions of the country and looking at some moisture on the eastern edge as well. Above normal precipitation expected as we head through the week ahead below normal in other areas of the country. Now, as taking a look closer at that precipitation forecast for this week, especially as we zoom in here to portions of California, this is, this is total precipitation, both rain and snow. That precipitable water looking at over 10 inches of rainfall over in the Sierra Nevada Valley. As you can see, what it is going to do to our root zones, though, wow, very wet conditions out here on the western edge of the country. Elsewhere, still looking at those extreme to very dry to dry conditions, but along the eastern edge, not looking too bad. In fact, even some wet zones there as well. Taking a look at the temperatures, everyone across the country looking at above normal to normal temperatures. It is going to be warm. And for today, much of the country not dealing with much, but again, still on the West Coast as that does begin to expand its way into Wednesday and on into Friday, we will see those impacts moving across the country. As we head outside to the jet stream, you can also see what that is doing. It does begin to take its way eastward and we'll watch that ridge of pressure begin to build up on the west edge of the country into Friday, Saturday and on into the weekend. Now here's a look at your select cities. Burley, Idaho, a chance of rain and snow, high 41. Into Cherokee, Oklahoma, mostly sunny, high of 55. And Hartwell, Georgia, sunny skies, high 58. The last two years have been red hot in the used equipment market. Machinery Pete is wondering if that can continue in 2023. Well, folks, I remember one year ago when the calendar flipped to 2022, I asked myself, is it possible that auction prices and used farm equipment values can go higher or remain this high? Because we were just coming off a year, 2021, that was by far the hottest year I'd ever seen for used valuations and prices. And particularly at the end of the year, November, December of 2021 with year-end tax buyers, the market was on fire. We were seeing records all over the place. So I remember being particularly interested when the calendar flipped to 2022, what were we going to see with the first few really nice farm equipment auctions? Well, I remember the first super nice farm auction that I saw was January 5th, and it was in uh, Weston, Ohio, by our friends at Wayland Realty and Auction. And how did things sell? Well, you know, here you go. They had a 2013 Challenger MT855 
C with 1,348 hours on it, sold for $247,000. That was a record high auction price by $27,000. So it became apparent that the calendar flipping to 2022 was not gonna slow the market down. Well, here we find ourselves a year later, the calendar has just flipped to 2023. I'm asking myself the same question. Can use value stay this high? 2022 was even you know, way hotter than 21. Well, guess what? Our friends at Whalen Realty and Auction again had the first really nice farm auction of the year. This one was January 4th. It was in Grand Rapids, Ohio. And how did things sell? Well, this 2017 KSH Maxim 150 with 1,277 hours on it sold for 112,000 bucks, second highest auction price ever on a Maxim 150. And this 2013 Apache AS720 sprayer with 1,217 hours on it sold for $104,000, third highest auction price ever on an AS720 sprayer, but notably the highest auction price ever over 700 hours. And again, this one had over 1,200 hours. All right, thanks, Pete. Up next, meet a farmer finding her niche in organics. We're off to Arkansas and piece of farm organics in the country. In the Country on Ag Day is brought to you by Pivot Bio. What if you had the nitrogen you need already on seed? Pivot Bio is the first company to apply nitrogen on seed. The nitrogen you need now on seed from Pivot Bio. Learn more at pivotbio.com. Finding her calling amid a family farm is how Leanne Parks started Peace Farm Organics. She grew up working in her family's greenhouses, and as demand for organics grew, she took that experience and started her own operation. Today, it provides starter plants to customers across eight states. The Arkansas Farm Bureau shares her story in her own words. Peace Farm Organics is um, organic herbs, organic uh, pollinator supporting plants, and um, we don't use any pesticides. We use only uh, biologicals and hypochlorous acid to maintain the best we can. It's challenging, but uh, Peace Farm Organics is something that comes from my heart, that I want people to be able to have this for their family, for their children, and it makes me very happy and satisfied to be able to produce something organic for the public. Parks Brothers was started back in the late 60s by my grandfather and my father and my uncle, and they were farming, and then they eventually got into more of a flower production and stopped farming in about 1986. And then as we progressed into flower production, we worked in the greenhouse right next to my dad. We learned how to seed, we learned how to water, we learned how to plant. That was from age six and we've worked steadily, my brother and I, throughout our whole childhood, all the way into adulthood. But as we expanded, my father did not want to grow uh, more. He didn't want to build more greenhouses. So he said, if, you, if we were gonna expand, that we kids need to make our own business where we grow four Parks Brothers. My biggest seller is basil. I can never have enough sweet basil, but we try to do all of your basic culinary herbs, but I really like medicinal herbs. And so I try to do a little bit of a lot of things. I grow turmeric root. I grow Tulsi basil, which is one of the best medicinal plants that you can have. And so we do about 100,000 pots total in the spring. And then we, we shut down in the summer. And in July, we start prepping for fall. Fall's much smaller. We're doing things like cabbage, kale, lettuce, the um, 
there's a much shorter selling season, planting season for fall. Peace Farm is my uh, special oasis where I can sit here and plant my seeds and get away from all of my regular work stress. It's my happy place. Our thanks to the Arkansas Farm Bureau for sharing that story. That's all the time we have this morning. We're sure glad you tuned in. From all of us here at Agdam, Clinton Curtis. Have a great day.